Greenhouse People. We're back at it with two more episodes of Tech on Demand, brought to you by Grower Talks Magazine. And yes, I said two more, because this time I decided to share this discussion as a two-parter, because there's so much great information to digest. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and our topic is lighting. But not just any lighting, dynamic lighting. New technology and LED systems that allow for multi-zoning to meet the needs of multiple crops, as well as the ability to control light intensity and spectrums. Learn why fully dynamic LED lighting is good for your crops, as well as your bottom line. My guests, Roseanne Michael from Saloom Technologies out of Montreal, Canada, share case studies, new research, and a fresh approach to LED lighting. If you have plans to explore new lighting technologies or upgrade your current system in the near future, this two-part episode is for you. Listen for a blend of science and real-world application with two guests who bring passion and tremendous knowledge to an energetic discussion about a critical topic. Let's meet the guests. Rose Sagant is an agronomist specializing in controlled environment agriculture with previous experience in indoor agriculture, agricultural innovation systems, and agricultural development in remote areas of Canada. She holds a bachelor's degree in agro-environmental sciences and a master's degree in bioresource engineering from McGill University, during which she published several peer-reviewed articles and technical reports pertaining to controlled environment agriculture and sustainable agriculture. Michael Hainan is Saloom's U.S. Market Sales Director and has worked in the controlled environment agriculture field for more than a decade as an entrepreneur and in technical sales. Michael began his journey as the owner of a horticulture operation, understanding the challenges associated with precision agriculture from a grower's perspective. Before opening Saloom's first U.S. office, he worked for one of the top global horticultural LED companies, and he's passionate about green technology, sustainability, and helping companies that share his values maximize their profitability and growth. Be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, and more. Once you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. But that's enough out of me. Let's get into part one. Rose and Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I've I've been looking forward to this podcast since we started talking about uh, dynamic lighting in general, and I was introduced to that concept because I think of it as kind of an emerging technology, even though LED lighting is not brand new, but it's certainly something that's uh, becoming more and more on greenhouse growers' radars at the moment. And recent lighting research conducted using these new technologies is really leading to breakthroughs across all segments of indoor crop production, whether that's food crops, ornamental plants, cut flowers. And from what I've learned, we're really lucky to have you two, especially on this podcast, because you have tremendous knowledge about this topic and you know, Saloom as a company has really cutting edge ideas to bring to the table. And you've heard about Rose and Michael's specialties and in their bios, but I wanted to start this discussion off with a kind of a basic icebreaker question because you both have a lot of knowledge about greenhouse crop production and controlled environment agriculture and sustainable ag. And I'm sort of interested, like, why are you guys so passionate about lighting and specifically about the technology that you represent at Saloom? Rose, I'm going to go ahead and start with you, uh, and and then we'll let Michael jump in uh, whenever you're ready. 
Yeah, well, I mean, from my side, what's really interesting in greenhouse lighting is basically everything you've just said. Um, previously, growers didn't have access to all of this technology. So essentially, your lights were on or off, you were only con um, controlling your day length. But even though there were all of these studies saying that spectrum is important, intensity is important, we could never really test it out on a commercial scale. Any technologies that were there were maybe not affordable, they weren't scalable. And now we're at a point where that's not the case. And so we're really able to install these technologies on a really large scale and, and dig into that commercial effect and see what's the actual impact this can have on, on this really interesting and uh, and forever developing industry. So, you know, for us, there, there's so much curiosity. Every day is different uh, for every crop, for every cultivar that, that people are growing, we're seeing different effects. And so it's, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely an industry that keeps you on your toes. You always need to be paying attention and asking, uh, you know, obviously asking the right questions. Um, and then, you know, with lighting, the answers can be really, really different depending on if you're doing cucumbers or strawberries or cut flowers. So um, it's, it, it's definitely a good challenge to, to take on. That makes sense. And it, I would imagine it, it is a challenge. Michael, what do you, what do you think? What's, where's your passion for this come from? Yeah, so I can relate to everything Rose just said about how it's sort of endlessly fascinating as we're working with so many different crops. Uh, for me, a lot of it comes down to the fact that lighting is really driving the process that we're dealing with here uh, as growers. So, you know, lighting is driving photosynthesis, and that's at the heart of what we all do as growers and horticulturalists. And um, it is one of all of the variables. It's They all work together. We know lighting is not the only piece of the puzzle and, and can't be successful on its own, but it's a really impactful variable and it's, uh, it, it drives yield optimization, consistency throughout the year. That's something that is really important to our customers, um, morphology, color, nutrition, flavor, if, if, if we're growing produce, time to market, you know, these are, these are all um, parts of the crop that we can impact through lighting. So again, endlessly fascinating. We're always learning. And that's for me where uh, my passion is centered in this. That's cool. And, and Rose, what you said about, you know, the, and historically the, the lights are on or the lights are off without much control over the spectrum or intensity. I think that that's probably a baseline that a lot of the listeners uh, start with, but then understanding and, and hearing more throughout our discussion today about what true dynamic lighting is, it's all about that control. And, and I think, you know, I've heard it said that you can control pests, you can control disease, you can control all the, or you can work to control all these different variables, but it comes down to plant health. And I would imagine that, that lighting is, is one of the key foundations to plant health. And it's cool because your passion does come across loud and clear, which is exciting to me as a host, because I know that you're going to bring a lot of interesting things to the table here. And you both have a lot of experience working with greenhouse professionals in all sorts of segments, like I already referenced. Um, but I, I suppose that growing plants really is the basic level. And Michael, you kind of just referenced it. So can you talk a little bit about lighting technology as it relates to the different segments that Saloom supplies and maybe the differences or similarities when it comes to these different segments as it relates to lighting? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, part of what makes this so enjoyable for us is we get to work with 
many different segments and many different types of growers. Um, and the common thread is that, you know, at the heart of it, it's all growing plants. It's all horticulture. Um, historically greenhouse produce has been the, the biggest focus for us as a company and the area where we have the most experience. And even within greenhouse produce, we've got a ton of variability, um, or a, a ton of different crops we're working with. We're working with high wire crops like tomato and cucumber, a few of our major customers there, Savora in, in Quebec, Prism Farms in Ontario. Uh, the lighting strategy for those crops is, is uh, you know, typically 250 micromoles per square meter is, is a typical intensity. Um, and, you know, the goal is driving, uh, is driving yield and um, driving consistency of yield throughout the year. Uh, then we've got crops like leafy greens, uh, the, the, the light intensity tends to be a little bit lower for those, but that's a really important crop for us and same, same game. And with greenhouse produce in general, we're typically looking to impact yield and make yield more consistent. Strawberries have been an emerging crop the last couple of years. We just announced a really important project with a major grower in Leamington, Ontario, Amco. And again, Savora is a major grower working with strawberries and our lights. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really important area for us. Uh, ornamentals, another key area. We're working with uh, ornamental growers that are doing liner production and finished plant production. And the lighting strategy and, and uh, spectral quality that we want for those different stages is, is different. And so that's that's something that's come up with us with ornamental growers quite a bit is, hey, uh, I installed red-blue lighting, red-blue LEDs, for example, and they work really well for finished uh, finish plants, uh, bedding plants, potted plants. But for my liners, they're giving, giving us a lot of challenges. And so then their hands are kind of tied about which lighting system is in which place and our solution gives them flexibility. They install the same lighting everywhere. And they have flexibility to move the different stages of production within their facility as they need. Um, we just announced a partnership with Pleasant View Gardens, uh, and that's exactly what they saw with us in that space. So um, a few others that we work with in ornamentals would be Cobbins Nursery in the UK um, and Zeromsky in Quebec. So. Broadly speaking, produce and ornamental are probably the biggest sections for us. We, we've done some cut flower projects as well, uh, mostly in Quebec to this point. And then research is, is a space that we, we do work uh, with universities and agricultural research stations. Typically, they're wanting uh, a general lighting solution that will work on a wide range of crops because, you know, if you have a greenhouse compartment, many different species are going to come through it over time and you need a, a general solution that will work for many. Uh, and that's an increasing area of focus for us. And in, in fact, we just announced uh, a, a program we call SEARCH, uh, which is Saloom uh, Empowering Academic Research in CEA and Horticulture. And basically we're looking to partner with land grants, uh, ag universities in the United States and equip them with our systems because it's it's exactly the type of system that's going to enable them to push agronomic research forward. Uh, so that's exciting for us.
I hope that's a kind of an overview, but if you have questions about any of those, let us know and we can dig deeper on any of them. Okay. And, and that was a really, really good overview. I think that understanding the different goals of the different segments, whether that's yield or like you said, liner, liner production of bedding plants. I mean, that has to yeah. be such a, I mean, that's such a, a range of, of, of needs and, and goals there. Uh, yeah. But what I do think is most interesting is that Saloom does have technologies that apply to all these different segments. And then just the thought about starting to really partner with universities and, and work with them to bring some of this research forward is it's exciting for me to hear. And I'm sure it's exciting um, for you guys as a company. And I think, like I said, that establishes a pretty good foundation. So let's, let's build a little bit from there. I will dig deeper into those topics, but I really want to understand what you mean when you talk about dynamic lighting. And you did reference, you know, some of, some of what that means, but I know that it goes a, a lot deeper than that. So, how about how about a definition or a summary of the 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 true points of difference and benefits versus other lighting technologies or lighting that growers have used in the past and or presently what they have in their facilities? And I know Rose, this is something that that you know a lot about. Um, from your experience. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit about what dynamic lighting is and, and how Saloom uses that term to encapsulate a lot of, a lot of what uh, you guys are bringing into the market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for us looking at our definition of uh, dynamic lighting, typically we're focusing on four main criteria. So the first of them being that uh, you can adjust your, your maximum light output uh, from your system. So Usually when we're dimensioning a system, we do it based on the darkest months of the year because that's when you'll need the most light. So for us here in North America, we're talking about December and January. So basically we want to make sure that in those months we do have enough light to be hitting your, uh, to be hitting your, your light sum, your target. Um, and so everything is based on that. However, if I'm starting a crop in the greenhouse in September, maybe turning my lights on September or October, at that point, I don't necessarily need to be running my December levels. And so if I don't have control over that, then I can end up incurring fairly high demand charges and actually just providing light for my crop that I don't necessarily need because my days are still fairly nice. So instead of running my fixtures at 250 or 60 micromoles in September or October, I can actually bring that lower to 80%, 75, uh, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, providing too much light to the crop. The same is true uh, in, in the other side of the shoulder season. So looking into the spring when now our days are getting longer, we're having more intense sunlight. And so again, we don't necessarily need to be running our lights at the same level we had in December and January. So Previously with HPS, again, you don't really have that. It's really, it's, it's on or off and you're, the most control you get is in your checkerboard, right? So uh, with dynamic lighting, pretty much it lets us go incrementally down 100, 99, all the way down to whatever you want. Typically we're doing 10% increments, but bottom line, the grower really has that flexibility to cap that output from their fixtures. So that would be the first one. The second one is basically taking this first one, but actually going a lot deeper into more of a real-time control. So, you know, anyone that has a weather station from Priva, from whatever your controller is, uh, you're familiar with, you know, having your threshold for light. So at that point, basically, if the sun is really bright, your lights will shut off, or maybe half of them shut off. 
The problem there is that that change in light is actually fairly strong. So a plant is going from having supplemental light to not having any at all, or actually dropping in very, uh, you know, very large increments. So basically what we're doing with dynamic light is we have sensors above, uh, above the crop that'll basically read the incoming light levels and then adjust the fixtures incrementally towards that. So essentially if I've set a target of 500 micromoles per meter square per second, and the sun is giving me 300, well, then I can have my fixtures dim down to 200 or dim down even further, depending on how much light we have. So what this is producing for us is a really uniform light level at the head of the crop. And when we're avoiding these big dips, well, then, you know, we're working on keeping the plant active and consistent throughout the day. So that would be our, our second one, which for us is like live compensation or what we call rectification. The third one, which is visually the most fun, uh, is spectral flexibility. So really being able to change the color uh, of the lights basically at any point. So the challenge with having a fixed spectrum light like legacy systems like HPS or like other LEDs is that you need to be pretty spot on on your decision making at, you know, when you're buying your fixtures. So if I'm making my decision based on the fact that today I'm growing strawberries and this very particular variety, that might be fine, but if you change that variety or if you change your crop, then you might no longer have that optimal light spectrum. Whereas when we have a dynamic system, then basically every time we introduce a change into the greenhouse, we can look at that and say, okay, this is the impact it's going to have on my crop. These are the characteristics of this variety. I want to adjust my spectrum in this way. I want to increase red. I want to decrease red, things like that. Uh, it also gives us the possibility of adding treatments. So also in the research and what we've been doing with multiple growers is saying, you know, during your growing season, why don't we apply specific treatments like saying we want to really increase the blue light at the end of your lettuce production if you're growing a red romaine, for example, to make sure you have something that's very saturated in color. We're also seeing similar effects for bedding plants and other ornamentals where if you really want to drive coloration of, of a tissue of a leaf or of a flower, then you can play with your spectrum towards the end. So that's really interesting. Uh, as well as, you know, for flower initiation, there's certain things you can play with that will actually help you get there. Um, and so that's a, so that would be the third one is really being able to change the colors. And then finally, we have zoning. And so zoning is kind of what enables everything else in the sense that there's so much variability in your greenhouse. Sometimes you have one corner that is colder than the rest. Uh, you know, what's happening in the middle of your greenhouse is not the same as the gable wall or, you know, even between varieties. And so rather than being limited based on your electrical installation or based on your breakers, basically, what we can do is at a software level and say, you know what, over this part of the greenhouse, I want to do something else. I select only those fixtures, that becomes my zone. And so that zone can be controlled independently of everything else. So on that side, you know, it really lets the grower, instead of applying an average solution, let's say to the whole greenhouse and saying, generally, this is what it is, I can actually go in and tailor it to specifically what's happening in that section of the greenhouse, whether it's because of a variety or a climate, you know, you really get to tailor it specifically. And for some varieties that a grower might not have looked at, because of certain conditions, well, now we actually open up the door to, you know, really uh, to, to include different varieties or different things that we might not have tested previously. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree when you talk to growers, their crop mixes are changing every year. They're adding, I mean, so many growers have added in foliage production, tropical production, switching around their, their annuals, perennials. 
Um, there's no such thing as monoculture greenhouses in North America when it comes to flowering ornamentals, that's for sure. Um, so I think that that, that is really exciting. And, and like you said, you're not limited by the electrical pattern of your greenhouse. It's software-based and can be adjusted kind of on the fly, which I know is always a barrier when growers look at, at installing lighting is they've got to make a decision right then based on the crops they're growing at that time, maybe thinking a little bit about the future, but without much flexibility. So that is really exciting. And I think that that is a really great explanation of dynamic lighting. Definitely sounds like you've uh, talked to growers about that before. And I know that when, when you talk about lighting or when, when growers hear about lighting, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of technical terms. You know, I, we publish a lot of research in grower talks. We have lighting guides. And a lot of times it can just sort of make your head spin. Um, so let's, let's kind of break it down to when you have a conversation with a grower for the first time or the second time you're, you're talking to them, maybe not at a trade show or an event, but at their greenhouse or, or on a call where you can actually dig into their specific uh, production needs. What, so they're, they're deciding on upgrading to new lighting. How does this initial conversation go? What are some of the earliest considerations that, that you're taking into account? Um, cause it is a big investment. So I would imagine there are a lot of questions, you know, before you even get started with, with the project. So, you know, establishing goals or plans, how does that conversation go, um, initially when, when you start to talk to a grower? Michael, why don't I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead and start, start with you, but I know Rose, you're going to have uh, some thoughts on this as well. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, initially it's, it's a lot of understanding the business and understanding the growing operation. And so lots of information gathering and uh, it's important right off the bat to understand the grower's experience with lighting to date, whether that's no experience with lighting, HPS, uh, some experience with LED, we see, we see everything uh, in terms of level of experience with lighting, but that really informs the discussion from there because that's never worked with supplemental lighting in any way, uh, we can explain um, the benefits in terms of consistency and yield improvement. Um, a grower that's transitioning from HPS, we're going to be able to walk them through that transition uh, and stay ahead of some of the changes that need to be made. For example, if you're switching from HPS, temperature in the growing environment is going to change along with lighting. And so we need to uh, be advising the growers on that and what to expect. Uh, the other thing is terminology. This this comes up uh, quite a bit still. Uh, it, rewind three or four years, and nearly every time we were talking to growers about supplemental lighting, we we needed to set the stage in terms of the common language because growers are used to with their environmental controller, seeing radiometric watts, um, yeah, watts per square meter, joules, joules per square meter. And uh, we use a different language when we're talking about supplemental lighting. We're talking about micromoles per square meter per second, or PPFD, um, as the intensity in any given moment of, of lighting. And then we talk a lot now about daily light integral, or DLI which is the accumulation of moles 
uh, of light uh, over the course of 24 hours. And different crops, different species will have optimal uh, DLI targets. And, and that's really what informs the lighting plan that we put together. So, you know, putting that terminology in place and uh, we can go a little bit further briefly here on the subject of, of spectrum, because that's something we can, we empower growers to work with. And, you know, we talk about PAR light or photosynthetic active radiation, which is four to 700 nanometers. Uh, and within that, we've got blue light, which would be four to 500 green, which is typically five to 600 red, six to 700. And then more and more, we're talking about uh, EPAR or uh, kind of an expanded range, which includes far red, which is typically defined seven to 800 nanometers. And each of these different wavelengths is going to have different impacts on the crop, species specific impacts as well. Uh, so we can, we can help put that terminology in place as well. Uh, Rose, did you want to add anything on the on the wavelengths? Uh, yeah, well, it, yeah, I guess uh, overall with the wavelengths, you know, that strategy that we take with it, it really, again, it depends on the crop, the variety, and even what you're trying to do. So, you know, if you, when you're actually thinking about how those wavelengths look on the whole scale is that, for example, if you think UV, that's, you know, way, uh, that has a much shorter wavelength, well, blue would kind of be your closest, kind of like neighboring to that. Uh, and then when you go red, far red and beyond, that's when you come into your infrared. So <clears throat> some of the difference in terminology when you're looking at, you know, what your, what your Priva is giving out in terms of, you know, watts per meter square, joules per centimeter square, it's actually based on a different wavelength range. Priva tends to be more extended because it's actually looking at the sun typically. So it's considering all this extra radiation. Uh, whereas on the PAR side of things, you know, again, we're going four to 700 nanometers, 800 when we include the far red. And so for us, you know, often that's one of the big questions people have because the lights are no lights. You're so used to working with joules per centimeter square and watts per meter square. And so for us, we're really trying to, you know, put the grower's mind at ease uh, in terms of, you know, just explaining that it's not technically the same thing. And frankly, the conversion is, is not always straightforward because it does depend on the spectrum you're putting out. Um, but again, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, your, your sunlight that actually has a certain portion in infrared, there is a, that's probably the biggest question we're getting from growers just because everyone's working with at least that base knowledge. So um, any documentation that we provide to growers basically has that sort of an appendix at the end, just to remind people like, you know, this is the terminology that, that we're using in horticultural lighting. This would be what your, your proxy was or what you were using before, just so that conceptually it makes sense. Uh, and then we're always there, obviously, to elucidate on, uh, to, to just explain really what it is. Um, and then same thing with all of the wavelengths, you know, beforehand, if someone is saying, well, look, one of my pain points with this particular crop is, you know, it is just stretching and getting out of control crazy. Well, then for us, we'd say, you know what, let's look at actually increasing your amount of blue light, because that tends to produce a crop that's more compact, maybe has thicker leaves. So depending on what you're doing, if you're doing propagation, that is really powerful. If you're saying, well, I'm looking at peppers that already tend to, you know, are slower growing crop and sometimes have a harder time stretching out. Well, we're not going to come in with the same recommendation because, you know, when we, we don't want that crop to be as short. Uh, so, you know, those are all sort of the resources that we provide to growers to make sure that they can conceptualize and say, 
previously with HPS, with whatever, I was just seeing yellow light. That's it. And for us, it's really about taking that spectrum and breaking it down in a really easy way to say, well, we want to increase this. And this is why, like, this is the, the effect we, we expect to see on your crop and then doing a follow-up with them to make sure that is the case. Yeah. So in addition to putting in place that common terminology and understanding the grower's experience with lighting uh, to date, we also want to, to understand the location because, you know, we're dealing with greenhouses here and natural sunlight. That's a factor we have to bring in when we do lighting plans. Uh, and then, of course, the the species that are being worked with and the objectives. Uh, what are the what are the challenges today? And, and at the end of the day, the lighting system is a tool for growers that should improve their cultivation and improve their bottom line. And so we've got to be solving real problems. And, and that's we want to understand what those are so we can address them with the lighting system. Mm-hmm.